Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. I'm super excited for this episode. Josh and I are going to talk about the top five things we learned from last year's elk season. If you only have one episode to listen to, this is the one, because you're going to get three or four weeks of experience in one hour. Hey, Josh. Baxter. Looking it's been back a while at the... since we did one of these. A little break. I know. Yeah, tiny little break. A little hectic. Live's been a little crazy. But um, yeah, excited to look back at the season and reflect. Yeah. I think we were all like, you know, running bull elk by the end of the season. You're just worn out. You've lost a bunch of weight. You're tired. You're, you're just, just bone tired, I think is the way to think about it. And, yeah. Uh, so it's good. I'm getting fired up again. Me so. too. Uh, I need to buy my elk tag here pretty soon. So yeah, already thinking about the next season. And already, uh, we're back. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like outside of elk season, I'm just like, oh yeah, that was fun. That was cool. But it's not elk hunting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just like waiting till the next season. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Well, I think this is going to be a great, great episode um, for everyone because you know, the saddest thing about elk hunting is like you said, you only get a, a week or two a year, right? For most guys, probably just one week. And uh, you only learn from your experience. So I think the idea behind this was you and I are kind of summing up what we learned in our experience. So guys get a free, you know, call it three weeks of experience uh, just by listening to this podcast. So hopefully it, it sums it all up. I mean, obviously they can listen to the blow by blow on those two other episodes, but I think these are always fun because you think of things and themes that you didn't talk about in those. And, uh, there's a lot of other stories that just don't make the cut. Totally. And probably a good exercise for people to do just looking back at their last hunting season, what were the biggest lessons they learned so they can really cement in the learning instead of just like moving on to the next thing. And what's that cool? Like all lessons will be repeated until learned something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's like they call that history. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's like, it's uh, when we worked together, I had a saying for Josh, which was, I don't care. Like, I, I'm actually excited. If you screw up once, I only get really angry if you do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like mistakes are fine, but never twice. Something like that. I remember yeah. you telling me that like, like, I think like first or second week working together and yeah, 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 it was, it was good. Well, the thing about it is like, if you don't make mistakes, you're generally not moving fast enough mm-hmm. or like learning. Like if you're, you're waiting until you're confident, something's perfect or right or ready which is you learn in the startup game like that's far too late you know yeah you could take two months and research the perfect way to do something but if you just did it in a day and it failed then you learn from that and then did it right the next day you'd be done in two days and yeah it would be painful because you quote unquote failed but you're also a month you know a month and a half ahead of everyone else right um so i think the same with like that's not the way i tend to live all of my life but for things like elk hunting where it just doesn't matter, I think it's a really good principle is like, just go out there and screw up a little bit, learn, mm-hmm. um, and just don't do it again, you know? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I know guys have been hunting 30 years that I don't, I hear advice from and I'm like, uh, yeah. And then I, I know guys that have been hunting five years. I talked to that are like, like a PhD of elk hunting. Yeah. It's really impressive. Like, I think it's just the person's approach and intensity and like level of, detail in anything in life it's not necessarily the time like time matters you can't you can't be a great elk hunter in a year or two like full stop but like you know I, I think for me this is the way i want to do it it's super exciting 
Yeah. And examining that time, looking back, reflecting on it to really extract all the lessons instead of just mindlessly moving on and being like, Oh, that was, that was fun. Let's, let's try it again. Yeah. I think really important. So uh, yeah. What lesson shall we start with? Ooh, um, I'll start, I'll kick it off. Cause I've got, I've got one that was for both you and for me, um, which is that it only takes one. <laughs> only takes Josh, one. Josh thinks I'm going a different direction with this, but uh, <laughs> I think with elk hunting, like you hear this so many times. And uh, I think for me, I've gotten really lucky the past few years where I'm having a counter or two every day. And uh, it rocked my boat a little bit when we didn't see anything the first, or have any good encounters the first two days. Um, and then I think also with, for you, like that, the, the three or four days before we got yours, there wasn't a ton going on. We got, I mean, we probably got an encounter a day in the end, but like, I think just that wherewithal of like being able to mentally put it all aside and be like, no matter how bad everything seems, it's in three seconds, something walks out from behind that tree and it's, it's done. Yep. Um, I think that's, that mental attitude is so difficult. Um, to like to cement in the way you think about elk season and the way you think about prepping for it that i just uh, it's been six years of hunting elk now five six years six years i don't know um and i just you can't say that one enough so i think that was a big one because that's really that was how i got my bull like we hunted the entire weekend and nothing and then just stepped out right and then your your deal like we had a few encounters but it just seemed impossible and like we gone all the way to the top of the freaking mountain and it wasn't working. And then like, we just look up and they're there and it's like, you just kind of, oh, and especially yours. This is what I thought of first is that you, you know, we went down there and then they spooked and then they went, came back and then I called them and then like, we thought it was over like three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you just never stopping. I don't, uh, we're kind of meta, you know, we're, we're thinking about everything tonight, but like, that's probably the best lesson for life and for elk hunting. Like it just, just never stopping dogging the elk. It just that never, it only takes one and never stopping. Like if you could learn one lesson out there, I think that's probably what would make you most successful. Yeah. It sounds so cliche, right? Like never give up, so um, cliche. Yeah. but it's true. <laughs> so true. In one moment, everything can change. And if you're just a little bit discouraged and you like decide not to go past that little hill or try calling yeah. one more time we could have easily been like oh they all ran off like it's game over let's just go set up camp and yep we'll figure it out tomorrow we'll just try calling a little bit more and lo and behold that spike bull walks out right behind the tree like yeah. i didn't we i didn't even see that particular spike in that group at all like you didn't, didn't even know he was there yep. and then one moment everything changes and i don't think either of us thought there was a period where we heard some milling around. We thought they might come back in. I was like, run forward. I, you know, you came up back. I was like, go. Oh. And then, then I think both of us didn't even think that was an option. We thought they moved off, but I, all I was really doing at that point was just calling a bunch to see if there was a straggler, but more to help locate them. Mm. Um, and so I don't, I wasn't really not planning. I wasn't really thinking that you would get a shot opportunity. It was more that we were just going to kind of set up and go for it again. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what happened. You know, one came back. So, um, I, th- I don't know why that's kind of my, that's like my most cliche highest level one. We'll get into more tactical ones to help people out, but I just don't think anyone could say that enough on an elk hunting podcast. <laughs> yeah, for real. Another random quote popped in my head, which is if you stand in line long enough, eventually get to the front, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just keep standing there. Just as long yes. as you're in there, yeah. away. you'll get there. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, I mean, it's, it's true. Like, I don't, 
you know, I think a lot of guys don't, you know, the, the 10% success rate thing, like it isn't truly 10 years and you get one. Like, I think what happens is the reality is there's a bunch of guys that take 20 years to get one. And then there's a few guys that get them every year. And then it evens out to 10%. You know what I mean? Right. But at the same time, if you're doing things moderately correct and like you're just out there all the time, like we've talked about the importance of maximizing actual hunting time, mm-hmm. uh, not, not like your week off, like the amount of time you're within 500 yards of elk during that week off. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a great, huge point. It's like, just, just be there. Yeah, <laughs> Things just, happen when you're there. Yeah. yeah live with them, live with them. Yeah. You'll get them. Um, my, uh, lesson is also a little bit cliche. Uh, but this one, this one definitely speaks just, this one is just straight to like who I am. Like I, I need to learn this in all aspects of life. Um, and I guess that's, what's great about challenging pursuits is you learn not just about how to be a better elk hunter, but how to be a better human. And, uh, for me, the lesson is that you and our buddy D both repeated to me this year is patience, patience. 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 Well, for guys that guys that are listening and that haven't have or haven't had a ton of experience in the elk woods, like list out a few of the things you were doing where you weren't patient enough. Oh like my gosh, the real tactical examples. Yeah. Well, uh, one is this one was especially evident my first year and got a little bit better this year. But it's back, like when I was hiking and I couldn't find the trail, I would just keep going forward. I'd be like, Oh no, it's gotta be here somewhere. I got to get back. I just got to keep heading in that direction. And eventually I'd end up in all this thick crap. And I would just be like, Oh my God, I'm so lost. Happened multiple times last, last season. This year though, walking back, I just, when I got a little lost, I'm like, okay, just chill, walk back, backtrack a little bit. Who cares if you're wasting quote unquote, wasting time and find your time. That one, I got a little bit better. Uh, one really obvious example is when we were tracking. Oh my gosh. I was just so excited and eager that like, oh, the spike's going to be here any minute. Like, I'm just going to walk a few more steps. It's going to be right there. And I totally went down multiple wrong paths yeah. that I could have just totally messed up, wasting time. Whereas you're meticulously just one step confirming and confirming where the actual track is. So that that was a big example for me, like learning to be patient. Yeah. Well, I think it was, that one was also speaking of patience. I think that in hindsight, like that, that was a dead elk and like, there wouldn't have been a huge downside to just leaving it overnight. Mm. I think I got impatient too. It's just like, I want to find Josh's first elk. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's a good lesson for me too. Is like, if you're, if there's any doubt on the table, just wait, like it just, it just, just wait. So I think that's a good one, but yeah, it's a, like you said, it's super hard to know and I'll cutting that line. Cause there's times when you need, do need to like, just go for it and like push and be hyper aggressive. And then there's a ton of times where it really does pay to, to go super stinking slow. And I think your patience wise, like if you're, I'm just trying to think of examples where it, it pays every freaking time. One is tracking. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever possible to track too slow. Right. ever because like elk if you made a decent shot they never really go more than like 100 200 yards um and like if it worst that happens is you sneak if you're going super stinking slow too you can sneak up while they're still alive and back out i've done that once or twice mm-hmm. um so that one yeah i think that's like a great example of being uber patient i think if you're in areas where we saw with my elk this year if you're in areas that feel really good and like you've seen fresh sign and your spidey sense is going off i think it's almost impossible to walk too slowly Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, looking. Oh, we talked around that. Oh, oh yeah. That, stuff. that was a good lesson. Yeah, and also um, one more note on patience. I think with glassing too, I can be a yes, little bit impatient, glassing. like just yep. skimming way too quickly. You're not really examining close enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's another one where, that I can what? work on. I think we did. And we talked a little bit about like glassing strategies last time. And I think with elk, the first run through of an area, I think it's fine to be pretty impatient. You know, like I think we'll I just, general like we just skim. freehand them, mm-hmm. freehand them. And I just check out, I pick up the binos. I just look at all the likely spots really quick. Cause they're so obvious. It's a lot of time you just see them. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's about getting methodical, right. And then getting really slow and patient, excuse me, where you just like grid it out. Yeah. Go left, down, then right, down, then left, you know, just the whole way. Oh, one other example is uh, my first shot on a live animal was a goat in Hawaii and I missed because I was impatient. I went through my shot process, but I actually skipped a couple steps and I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. the pin's on. I'm like, it's so close. I'm going to just pull the trigger and it just went right, right below. And this time I really settled. I really went through my shot process and just give it just one more moment to let it settle and then slowly go through. At least for me, that's what I really needed to learn this year and and yeah, shot ended up being good. So yeah, that's a uh, man. There's so much good stuff to unpack in there. I think that's that's probably the single hardest part for most people to be patient, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's in the shot, and I think time and time and time and time again, I felt like there's a sense of urgency with when you see an owl because you feel like it's going to sense you or see you, mm-hmm. but like having that confidence to take the full time to go through your shot sequence and settle in and do all that stuff, like. To you, that probably felt like it was literally a minute, but it probably took another half a millisecond, you know, like half yeah. a second. Yeah. <laughs> like it goes, so like it's there's such a temptation in shots to rush them. I think of all the places and patience, that's probably the number one for most guys. And I think just the more repetition, repetition, I think the more you repeat. We did a whole episode on that, I think, like how to practice well, like just going through that exact sequence again and again is like really the only way to, to do it. And then also you... You did exactly what we were talking about in the off-season stuff too, which is like, don't let the elk be your first, you know, your first thing. I think a lot of guys wait to draw a tag for five or 10 years and, you know, or they go elk hunting once and they're like, this is my deal. And they get angry when they whiff their shot or they miss that bull of a lifetime. And it's like, no, dude, you set yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. The first time you draw back on an elk is the only time you get to draw back on an elk. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I bet one in five guys have the presence of mind to make that happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty tough. The first time on a live animal is the first time on a live animal. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I know going and doing the goats and the the deer and other stuff like practicing and, uh, viewing, like you said, going into elk season and being like, Oh, this is going to be a multi-year thing. And like, it's fine to screw up the first encounter or two. And I think you kind of, you did a lot of great things with that, that panned up, that played out and paid off in that exact moment. Thanks. Yeah. Those off season opportunities. We did a whole bunch of episodes on that last, last season and uh, yeah, it ended up paying off. So yeah. Yeah. And for guys that are like hesitant, like I don't want to spend the money or do the time. Don't view it as like, I don't know. Like if you're not excited about that, are you into hunting? But it's like, uh, you're probably, those guys aren't listening to this. (laughs) Like if you're, let's put it this way. If you're struggling to motivate to go shoot rabbits with a blunt Mm -hmm. point, um, because you're like, that's stupid. And, you know, I don't really love the way rabbit tastes or whatever. Don't view it as just hunting rabbits. View it as like, that's the difference between you shooting an elk or not. Right. 
Yeah. I think especially this time of year when it's like cold, it's dark, it's tempting to just go watch Netflix mm-hmm. like that. It sounds so stupid, but you shooting two rabbits might be the difference between you getting an elk or not. Um, it's yeah. just little random things like that, that really help with patients. 100%. The episode we did with Wayne Pearsall, who's, he's shot a bunch of different animals and has been involved in the sport in a big way for many, many years. His number one tip was go small game hunting with your bow. Like if you've never mm-hmm. shot an animal before, like go squirrel hunting, go rabbit hunting with the bow, like just get reps shooting at live animals and yeah, hunting. So yeah. Super sage advice. Um, yeah. So patience is a big one looking up. I think that's almost like part of patience. I think this is a big, this was like my, my developmental opportunity for Josh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking in the woods. It was, um, I think that's part of the patience thing. Honestly, in my opinion is cause you, when you're anxious to like go find elk or get going, you want to move fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're moving faster, you have to look down, right. you know, like you, you can't, uh, you can't like look up and look down because by that time you've already cleared the area and you haven't looked where your feet are going. Mm-hmm. So it's either moving slower, but it's also just like consciously keeping your head up. I know David said this about another guy, um, or D whoops. Um, it said this about another guy, um, at one point, uh, that he, this is his piece of advice to him a long time ago. And I think everyone goes through that phase, but the hardest thing about all cunning is every, every single scenario other than calling your only advantage is if you see or sense the elk before it sees or senses you Mm -hmm. only way you kill it. (laughs) Like it's whether it's ambush where like you're waiting for one to come into you, whether it's spot and stock, um, whether it's, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) the two out of the three ways you kill elk (laughs) or like you have to see it first. Uh, and that, that totally involves looking up. Yeah. And yeah, for me, I, when I was not looking up enough is when I was getting to that point where we're getting close, like, like this is the stock to go shoot the animal. And I'm looking down at the ground to avoid making noise. And I'm just like staring at the ground yeah, and like not looking up enough. And at one point the cow spotted me through a hole in the trees and I froze. And luckily, like we froze enough. So where the cow just kind of trotted, like walked off instead of like spooked, um, that easily could have ruined the whole situation. So yeah, yeah, I was like, next time I have to take it a little slower, look down and then look up, look down, yeah. look up and stay up most of the time and just glance down real quick for each step instead of, yeah. yeah. So some, some technique there. Um, totally great reminder I, for me. Yeah. And I think it's about like looking, maybe we talked about with looking for doorways, mm-hmm. um, like when I'm looking, when I'm walking through the woods, that's where my eyes are at. And like doorways are 50 to hundred yards out, you know, cause yeah. it's not, I think everyone gets really obsessed when they're looking for elk the first few times they're looking for the elk and I'm not really looking for an elk. I'm just looking for yellow or tan mm. or something weird. Um, I had a giant conversation with, with, uh, the lady yesterday about how it's so weird, how your brain reprograms and I can be driving down the interstate and I will literally look up, look over like a mile and a half. And I'll be like five elk walking across the, the, the mountain. Like mm-hmm. I was driving, I was not watching the mountain, but my brain in my peripheral vision from so many years of getting such a positive rush or reward from seeing an elk, it's like, <laughs> it's picks up on these little tiny 
things, you know, mile and a half away. <laughs> it's just, and people are like, there's no way you could see that. It's like, no, with the, the right sun angle, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Um, and so all that to say is like, I think your brain does so much more than you could think right? it can do and just trusting it and just like not just kind of soft focus at 50 to hundred yards, mm-hmm. um, keeping your eyes there. Cause they'll pick up these random little tiny things that just don't look right. And at that point you just stop and you're like, what is that? And that's, that's how I mine this year, right? Like I know I said, I stopped, but if you think about it, I was doing that exact thing. I was walking super slow and stopping every tiny bit. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like I magically stopped right where I could see it and hung out there for 10 minutes and then saw it. It was like mid step basically. Right. Mm -hmm. But I was, he was, when I first saw him like 80 yards away. So I think yeah, about 80. So like, that's where my vision was at was looking up that far away. So, yeah. Wow. The, the door waiver is such a good reminder because I was just looking up and like looking everywhere. I was like, yeah, they're going to be anywhere instead of like, Hmm, where could they be? Where are they likely to be? And I, I think like those lessons will, will over the years, like the pattern recognition, I guess will be more, yeah. more ingrained. Well, I think it helps you too when you think about the doorway concept, because uh, the way I envision this is like one of those James Bond movies. They've got the, like the heads up gear on and you know, that all these lines are constantly getting drawn about like, you know, like it's ticking down from 60 yards away or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of times when you're walking and like, you could be 10 from here. You'd be the next 20 yards. You're not going to be able to see any further and nothing that's on the other side of that Santa trees is going to be able to see you. There's these like micro moments where your vision really, really matters, you know? Mm -hmm. And so whether you're thinking about the angle, like if you took a flashlight and shined it at a tree, what is in the dark, right? And so when's the next moment you're going to see what's in the dark, Mm. if that makes sense. So like when I'm walking, I'm often thinking like, oh, you know, not right now, but in three yards, I need to go really slow as I kind of edge around that tree. Right. And then I'll walk right. pretty fast for two or three yards and I'll be like, okay, at that point, I'm going to, you know, the, this little tiny depression is going to come up enough. I could see the top of something over there. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm kind of engaging mentally on like something 50 to hundred yards away and thinking about the next time me, or more importantly, the elk on the other side of it can see can see each other you know right dang there are levels to this game <laughs> no, totally. wow. yeah, like, yeah. I, the nuance. I, like, I like to think spatially about it you're just thinking about right. where the all the little spaces in front of you and like where could right. it all be right um, it's, so like it's actually echo that's probably what trips you out a little bit is that there are periods of time where i'm walking super stinking fast or like mm-hmm. not even i am looking down and then there's periods i'm looking up and yeah, I was just going to say, like, it, it, for me, it's still a little bit of a blur of like when to lo- walk fast, when can I walk slow? And it, it just all depends on your physical environment, I guess. And then, yeah, so oh, it's such a good lesson to me for me to just get that nuance. It, it's like, there, yeah. that's what's so cool about elk hunting is like, you can never, it, the, the path to master it is is quite long. It's it's like a martial art. It's not just like something you get and like, oh, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. And every year, it's like, no matter how good you are, there's always something you're, you know, like we said, redoing by accident or you're like learning a new lesson, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Um, let's see for me, what was one other one calling? I think, I think this year for me, I think I've always known this somewhere deep down, but I think the level at which you need to be able to call to be effective, I think there's two worlds. You either can be totally passive and hopeful, (laughs) 
and just like cow call a little bit. And like, maybe it works out and you're in the right situation, which is kind of what I've been doing. Or you can really get to no calling and like hit another level. Um, and I think that there's not really much middle ground between the two. Mm. So I think I learned that lesson more than ever this year, which is like, if you're going to call, you have to pick one of those two approaches. Um, it's the middle that kills you. You're like kind of calling a decent amount, but like, you don't really know what you're doing. And, um, it was, you know, I tried that a bunch this year. I think even after five years of calling, I'm still not as good as I'd want to be. And it didn't work out a lot of the time. And who knows, maybe that was the situation, but the one or two time I just cow called at the right time when the bull was fired up, it, it were almost worked out, got very close. It was just wind uh, stopping me. So I think calling like lessons I learned is that like for me next year, probably the thing I want to do most is like, like I'll probably gamble my elk on it because mm-hmm. I don't really care as much about killing one in both season for a stat anymore. Um, I'd willingly, I think I like next year, we'll see how I feel. Like, don't quote me on this. There's a year out, but I think I'll want to just try to call next year and I get an elk by calling. Like that's my elk hunt next year. And if I don't get one, then I'll just go back with the, the rifle and shoot the cow and the unit we're in, um, and get the meat. We won't but, quote you. It's, no one's listening and it's not being recorded. So we're good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think that's yeah. for me, like with fly fishing too, like that's how it is. It's not, at some point it's not about catching fish anymore. It's about catching that fish. Right. Um, you know, it's like, even if it's a 10 inch fish in a tiny Creek, that's the biggest fish around, or it's like the one fish on the other side of the river, even if it's only six inches, you always wanted to like cast over there and catch it. Like, I think that's, what's fun and exciting about it, but yeah, I was actually I just, me, yeah, keep going. Uh, I was actually just going to ask about this because, um, for me, most of elk hunting is I'm very early on the learning curve. And then it's cool to hear you talk about a, a piece of elk hunting where you're still earlier on yeah. the learning curve, like in terms of calling. And so it reminds me of like this concept of, I think Josh Waitskin in his book, the art of learning, he's like a chess prodigy turned Brazilian jiu-jitsu genius turned uh, tai Chi, like national championship. Anyway, he talks about investing in loss where like people get too comfortable in their current skill set, And it's like a hermit crab that gets a little bit too big for its shell, but it just doesn't want to leave the shell and go find a new one. So it just stays in that little shell the whole time yeah. instead of like investing in loss or being vulnerable for a period where maybe you're not like as comfortable or you're not getting the results that you want. And then yep. later it pays off. And so it's cool to hear you have that process oriented mindset going into next season, like optimizing for learning calling instead of the result of getting an elk during bow season. Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's two things I realized. One is that like, I could get an elk every year by doing what I'm doing with the stalking, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I think that's maybe a good lesson for guys listening to this is like, all you ever do hear about in the media is like, call them, call them, call them. It's the craziest thing. And like, it is, it's really cool. But if you want to kill an elk every year, you got to be able to switch up your tactics. Cause I, I mean, I think about the, the effective two or three weeks I've hunted the past each season past two years. And like only two or three days in that whole period each year is like good calling. Mm. And that's, I'm probably you know, showing my right. cards to someone like Paul, who's like, oh, I could Paul elk, not Medell. I could call someone, call something at any time. And I bet he could, but for me or the most average guys on calling you, uh, there's only a tiny little window and so you're going to go fail. So I think that's lesson number one is like, got to be able to diversify your tactics and like, it's not sexy and super exciting, but like stalking and creeping up on elk is really effective. Yeah. Um, So that's one. So I think for me, it's like, 
now that I feel like I've got that tactic down, I just really want to focus on the calling bit. So yeah. Oh, it'd be so cool in a couple of years that you're like, dude, I'm all about calling. It is so fun. It's a whole yeah. another part of elk hunting that like just unlocked and it's it's what you go for it. Cause I yeah, it's it that seems like a really fun part of it. I haven't really gotten to experience yet. So totally cool. there's a no. lot more to learn. I think there's a ton more to learn there. And I think, you know, we've been pretty high level on this one too, but like, you know, we had multiple, I had multiple situations after you headed out where I called a bunch to elk from, for uh, the lady. So it was, uh, oh, nice. kind of got the, you know, that was really fun for me to spend four or five more days trying to make it happen. But I, I just learned a lot. I think I learned that I would, didn't know enough. <laughs> <laughs> what were, is there any one situation that stands out? Like one example of one where you're like, oh, I really think if I called the right way or I, I don't know, is there one that stands out? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think I had that one bull coming in. He came in twice, but he's trying the wind's world and he went back. I think, so mm-hmm. we, I think we would have killed him, but I think that was just me, the right time of the year, me cow calling, right? Like mm-hmm. a little bit of the bull action, but I think there were two times once across the field that we were trying to go for one. And then another uh, we got one that was like halfway up the hill on the last morning in both situations, you know, I was mixing it up between cow calling and like raking and, you know, going back at a bull when he got aggressive and they kind of came back a little bit. The bull walked around to the right and just never really kind of got interested and then left. Mm-hmm. So I think both of those were, you know, clearly there was enough interest there. He talked to me that, you know, I would like to think that those were opportunities I could have made happen if I had the skills or known exactly what was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang. So, yeah. I think anytime a bull talks to you, that means there's something there, or it's got right. it's willing, um, right? And so it's on you to talk back in the right way. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Like they're talking now, it's just like, can I can I say the right words and the right tone and the yeah. can I can I speak their language? And I'm not talking like you have to call it. I'm not being an idiot. Like there's no way you can call in every bull like that. Even if you are Paul, you know, Elk not Medell, right? Like, I mean, maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just underrated, but uh, I think that like knowing, okay, well, this one's hung up and he's saying this, he's not going to come in, but he's, he wants me to come over there. It's like, okay, well now let's stop calling, shut up and hustle to go cut him off. Um, Or no, he's not going to come in. Let's pull back, but he's probably going to bed right there tonight I can come in and make this call. Right. Um, I think that's the, that's like PhD calling in my opinion is someone who knows, knows what everything means on the elk side and what their appropriate actions are on their side. That's, oh, that's wow. what I want to get. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's like kind of like a language. Some people can understand it, but they're not really good at speaking. Yeah. And totally. Yeah. I wonder which one, which one do you think comes first is like trying to understand first or trying to speak first in terms of learning? I would, I mean, I would say understanding and that's what I want. It's like, I feel like I know a lot of guys, I'm not going to obviously name names, but they can call amazing. Yeah. Like they, when you hear them call, it's like, dang, that sounds like an elk or it's not just like, are straight up yeah. down? It's like, it's beautiful <laughs> kind of undulated in with a little glunks and a few, you know, they really can make it sound good. Mm-hmm. But when you ask them like how often you call an elk, they're like, oh, not, not that much. Or like, I don't know. Like, what's that elk saying? Ah, I don't know. They might know general things like, oh, well, that's an aggressive bugle or not, but I feel like the comprehension part is the hard part. This is the analogy for me is like surfing. Like when people talk about surfing, everyone obsesses about, oh my gosh, it's a hard sport to do. It's going to take me three to six months just to catch a wave and stand up. 
And the, the saddest part of that, you can't say to a beginning surfer is like, dude, that's the semantics. And like, just learning to stand up and do the basics are the easy part. <laughs> like the true skill set in surfing is reading waves, mm. being able to understand the underwater topography of the break and what's going on and like where the exact point you need to be is. The best surfers are people that don't even really paddle. They're just in the perfect location. You know, one paddle and they're standing up and versus beginners are like, how hard can I paddle? How hard can I stand up? You know, right. does that make sense? So I think with elk calling, it's the same where we all like to think it's about how good we can call. Mm-hmm. You know, like, can I make that sound? Can I do this thing time after time? Can I sound super realistic? But I think the the comprehension, in my opinion, is more important. Like, do you really understand what they're trying to say and what they are saying to you? Dude, I think lot, even if you couldn't actually call back to them, that's more important. Like, I'd yeah. take fully understanding what the elk's saying over being able to call if I had to choose between the two. Yeah. Wow. I feel like that lesson applies to communication in life in general. Like it, it sales, like you got to listen, understand their side first before you, yeah. In chess, it's like, oh, grandmasters will say the, the farther you get in the game, it's more important to know what your enemy is trying to do than your own plan and focusing on your own thing. It's just like, wow. The, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a big lesson for me. That's the one I want to maybe realize this year. I'm like, dang, it's time to get better at calling. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I think last one for me is, uh, just a, a few little butchering things. Um, yeah. I butchered a decent amount of animals now, um, from the deer and the goats and whatnot. And I still made the mistake this year. <laughs> got to see the whole thing of when I was cutting that hind quarter, just going in the wrong angle and going into the guts instead of like perpendicular and like cutting the hind leg. And it got some guts on the blood on the hind legs. I had to cut a little bit of the meat off there. Um, so that was one lesson that I hopefully will never repeat again. It's very visceral experience. <laughs> going to be to play devil's advocate, though, like that's definitely a mistake. But what do you think you could have done different? Or like, do you think you can learn from that? Or do you think it was just like, oh, I screwed up once? Uh, let's see. I think I can learn from that because. I got a better, I got a clearer picture of the angle, I think in my head now, mm. it's like, you really just can't go obviously towards the gut. <laughs> you really have to go way perpendicular the other way. And I guess yeah. I didn't really know in my head how, how much, I guess, how close I could get. You know what this one sounds know. like to me, Josh, which is what? really sad patience yeah dude oh man <laughs> it really is if you just uh, yeah just go could, slower and yeah, nothing can go wrong dude, that is spot on <laughs> Darn. yeah yeah I, that was definitely it was like sun it was like the last leg of the animal i was like you know what like i've done this so many times like i can do this quick and dude yeah that was exactly yeah. it oh if in doubt walk it out <laughs> Yeah, the patience one is one one thing to work on that will improve multiple areas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then another butchering thing is I learned how to cut the tongue out, which is cool. And mm. I haven't eaten it yet, but I'm really excited to. And the whole jaw, like getting behind the jaw and like cutting the meat through there to like detach the lower jaw and then getting the whole tongue. That that was kind of cool to go through. Yeah. 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 That was that was an interesting process. I was pretty amazed when you did the Hank Shaw and pulled that one out of there. Yeah, you really. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. We didn't do mine because mine had 
got all that puke in its mouth. I was like, ah, I'm not taking a puked on tongue. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought I, I didn't realize you were being sarcastic when you were like, yeah, grab the tongue. It was like the next morning and I cut it or maybe I smelled it. And I was just, oh, I almost, yeah, yeah. I almost puked immediately. It was like, <laughs> yeah. holy. No, is. we're not taking that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good lesson. Um, I feel like, uh, I feel like the approach to, I think we, I think there's been other lessons we've learned from past years that we saw. It's not just like the lessons from this season. It's like the lessons from the previous year that we learned from and like we can extra cement in mm-hmm. too, if that makes sense. Like I feel like one of them was moving quick and I think we did a really good job of that this year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we yeah, did. That was like one of our big takeaways from last year. And I think we, you know, just to reinforce some of these for guys that might be newer to the podcast, um, they can go back and listen to that episode. That was a really good one too. But you know, moving fast was a big one. Like if you don't see something 24 hours, get out of there. I think we did do a good job of that. And I think this year of all years would have really been a problem if we hadn't. Yeah. Um, in a lot Especially of ways. How dry it was and like, yeah. yeah. Um, and by moving quickly, just to be clear for the new, new hunters, Baxter doesn't mean like walking very quickly or running. He means like changing to your B spot or your C spot or like getting out and find, going to a new area if you don't see elk because last year we got a little hung up and uh yeah it cost us a couple of days i think yeah of elk hunting and this year it was like <laughs> i think we moved we moved great it was like yeah a little bit of stuff here not really anything fresh boom we're out like we didn't yeah. never even went, went back never even thought twice just went right to the next spot we we covered a lot of ground in yeah. uh, a few days well i think we you know, just for guys too, to get tactical, I think it always happens. Like what you might in the past have said, Hey, 24 hours, you don't feel like you're seeing something you're out. I think we got even more aggressive than that, which is there were multiple areas. We saw five to 10 cows in mm-hmm. now, which you would have been stoked on shooting that like we talked about. Um, but even with that, we were like, Hey, they're five to 10 isolated cows. We don't see bulls with them. They're kind of random sporadic. Like that's not enough elk in one area for us to really invest in it. And so we left elk. Um, and I think that paid out, you know, like we could have stayed in that one area the first that we saw at this few the first day, but I think, I think we, we just knew there weren't high chances for the amount of elk in that giant area and how far up that was. Yeah. Um, so we were hyper aggressive about it. It was like, it's not, not just, are there no elk we're out of here? It's like, is there not enough elk <laughs> or <laughs> let's get, let's go to somewhere else. Um, yeah, that I don't know if I'd ever recommend that to someone unless they're very confident. Mm-hmm. I think it really paid off because we yeah we found a bull. <laughs> yeah, there's some nuance there. Um, yeah, that and that first weekend, oh my gosh, we covered so much ground, and you got one that first weekend, like three yep. days, three days into the trip, four days, something like that. Hand out. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was that's one that kind of stuck, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, going high. I think we did a really good job of getting up top pretty fast on all of our trips. Mm-hmm. And that really, that made the difference for mine and for yours. Like both of those were pretty way in their way up there. Yeah. Um, and so as maybe to wrap up here soon, I was going to ask for some action, actionable, like tips or advice, especially coming from you. Who's like one of the most patient hunters. I, I know that is a strength of yours for someone like me. <laughs> what do you think are things I can do or maybe I don't know. I don't know if that's the best question. Like, yeah. How can I try to develop patience? Um, well, I think there's, there's two ways to do it. Right. Like one is the traditional, like 
you know, lift heavier weight, chemo sabe, right? Like you just go up the ladder. You like, well, you know, do things that exercise your patient's mental muscle and you just do them more often. Maybe it's not elk hunting, but it's like, I don't know, listening to your significant other tell you about her day. <laughs> Instead of cutting her off at two minutes, it's like waiting five minutes and then waiting 10 minutes. I'm making up stupid examples, but like, that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, you, you could do that sort of thing, but I, I've always taken the approach to, to this sort of stuff like I do with habits, which they say you can't, to get rid of a habit, you can't just be like, I'm not doing it. Like every now and then you can, if you have a strong enough will, but like most of us don't, you have to like replace it with something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, if you're, if you bite your fingernails, you got to get like a little fidget spinner or something, some other habit that when you, you think about it, you do that other thing instead. Cause otherwise you just will, it's just impossible to like stop your brain and do it. I think it's the same thing with patients. Um, I think I would step back and think about what makes you impatient. Um, and if you're like, well, it's the fact that I'm not seeing an elk. Uh, I think I might reframe it as you can still move really fast, but incorporate looking as one of your steps, if that makes sense. So like your method of finding an elk might've been take 10 steps. So it's like, no, take one step and nine looks, you know, so you can, you could just do something different at the same pace. Um, So it's just like step, look right up, down, over, right. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's just thinking about what you're going to be doing instead. It's not just like, oh, slow, or it's like thinking about the fact that every time you look up might be the time you see the elk. Um, so that's one, um, two, I think it's like, you know, just know your style and what you're good at. Cause obviously patience is my forte. And like, that's why I'm really good at the spot and stock and this kind of stuff where I've kind of killed an elk, you know, all but one year. And it's because of that. Um, but that's my style. Right. And like, I might go find the calling thing and it might, might work out really well for me, but like, honestly, for guys that know their secret ability, like yours might be that you're like ADD and move fast, you know? <laughs> and like, if that's the case, then you like, maybe you should try some calling Yeah, and just like go rip. Like you might hunt a different way. You might just be like stymied because you're hunting with me and I'm forcing you to hunt the way I hunt. <laughs> like, it might be better for you to go like run around an entire basin and call every 200 yards, which is how a lot of guys do it. So yeah. I think it's just, yeah, it's about like, you're thinking about what, what is making you impatient and really understanding that. And then also like, just making sure that you're not trying to force yourself to do something that you don't want to do. Yeah. That's the fun part of be, about being so new at something is like, you know, the, the age old question of, should you double down on your strengths or work on your weaknesses when you're yeah. new? It's like, you don't even have any strengths. So yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah. like, yeah. So maybe i first work on this and then if calling becomes yeah. a thing then my addness can become a strength. <laughs> well i think also you're doing the right thing really it's like you know i think everyone's <laughs> that question in and of itself is you rushing if that makes sense and not being patient because you're like well, what's the fix how do i right <laughs> right, right. yeah how can i wake up patient tomorrow it's uh, patient exactly it's patience <laughs> inception um but i think you're doing the right thing which is you went out and screwed up a few times and that's the only way to really learn it yeah if you're like no i know when you're out in the woods next time and you're like i want to move that pace but if you genuinely truly deep down believe or know that that will stop you from killing an elk or hurt you then you won't do it yeah if you don't truly believe it deep down you're you're still going to do the same thing right no matter how hard you you try to use your willpower Mm -hmm. that makes sense so i think you're doing the right thing which is like you're just going out there and screwing up a little bit like you know 
Yep. Yep. Learn all from it. Will, all lessons will be repeated until learn. So I'll just keep repeating. Until learning. Hopefully well, if you look quicker. at my lessons too, a very different hunting style, very different problems. You look at the, the lessons I had to learn the hard way. It was to move faster, right? Mm, yeah. so I'm too patient, right? I, I spent too much time in different areas, um, different points. So everyone's got their own different thing. They got to screw up with. Yeah. So that's the fun yeah. of it all. Yeah. It's good times. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's, I mean, I think those are the bigger lessons from this year. I can't think of anything else that, uh, jumped to mind. Yeah, no, I think we do. We covered a lot of the high level stuff. It'll be fun to look back next year. And for me to be like, Hmm, did I get more patient this year? Did I, did I look up a little bit more and just remember these things? So I guess another benefit of reflecting is then reflecting again and then mm -hmm. holding yourself accountable. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, we really should go back and uh, look at all the different ones we talked about the past few seasons and see if we're if we're doing them, um, I think the last like semi-controversial one I'll end with is, uh, making the shot happen. Oh yeah. I think that, um, please don't send us hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> we get this. Um, that's the funny thing about elk hunting podcasts is like, if you say you like fixed blades or you, you know, you say something about making the shot happen, you're always going to, there's just strong opinions here. Um, but I think I heard this first. Uh, I think it was Steve on the hunt Backcountry podcast. I always bring it back to those guys, but I listened to that. It was like one of my three religious podcasts when I first started getting into elk hunting and they, they're really, really great podcasters. So go, go listen to that one. If you get a chance to, um, but he was like, you got to make the shot happen with elk hunting. And I was like, I never understood what that meant. You know, it's always like, is that him trying to backhanded say like, take the unethical shot? Is that him trying to say like, move faster? I think I really understand what it is now is that there's never going to be the perfect elk shot. Mm. Not never, but like one out of 10 times, let's put it this way. One out of 10 times, you actually get a shot opportunity. One out of those 10 shot opportunities, you might get a perfect elk shot. Mm -hmm. um, so I think figuring out where that right line is of what an ethical shot is um, and what your ability level is such an art form. Um, and I think it totally, like we said with these other lessons, I think it depends a lot for someone like me, who's naturally a little more conservative, a little more patient. Um, I screwed up because I didn't take things that I probably should have. That definitely would have killed an elk, but right. I, you know, I wanted the hundred percent surety that it would die. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, versus other guys that just wing things. I've seen horrific examples of that. Someone should lock those dudes to the, the ground and be like, if something's not 20 yards from you, you shouldn't shoot. Right. Um, so I think it's again about knowing yourself, but, uh, I think this year was really, really important for that standpoint. Cause both you and I had shots that ended up being very, the killing shots, both things would have died within two hours if we just left, mm -hmm. um, easy dead, not moving. But, uh, I think both of us, like me, I just wanted to try to kill it quickly. And then you, we went a little too fast. Um, but both shots were at, were shots that worked and were, in my opinion, very ethical, um, even though they wouldn't be called a textbook shot. So right. if I gone on long enough about that, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great lesson. And I remember you repeating it to me at the beginning of the season with previous examples. And so I, yep. I thought of that in that situation, I was like, you got to make the shot happen and, uh, worked out <laughs> on an elk. Yeah. yeah. I think we, I think the reason we got close to not finding that elk was more in our impatience to try to find it that night. I think I was that's what I really should have thought 
about when we'd step back is like, I'm hundred percent confident we're going to find that thing tomorrow morning. Right. Right. If we leave, cause it's going to be dead. But I was like 90% confident or 80% confident. We were probably going to find it before sundown. It's like, oh, I want to get it before sundown. It'll be cold little yada, yada, yada. It's like, no, be hundred percent sure. Yeah. It's funny because your quote unquote impatience is you like doing that and still carefully stop. I'm just running around everywhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think that's, that's a lesson I've, I've learned. It's just like, it's, um, I've never lost an animal. I'm very fortunate in that and in, in any hunting. Um, but I do think there is a, a happy middle ground around making shot happen, making shots happen. Uh, in archery, I don't think there's really any leeway on that on, on rifle. Like, you know, you can put a bullet through anything at any angle if you're using an appropriate <laughs> the rifle, but yeah, archery, not so much. <laughs> That's the fun of archery. It keeps us yep. engaged all year long. Game inches. Um, and cool. then we've got, we'll have to do a little report on this, but my wife has a limited entry deer tag here and we've got two or three weeks in December um, for her to try to make that happen. So we'll see nice. if she can, she can make a shot happen. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we'll eventually hop back on our monthly check-ins and, uh, we will continue putting out episodes bi-weekly, maybe some off season stuff. And, uh, next year is going to come around quick. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, for folks out there, we've got a bunch of cool ideas and things we like to do, but at the end of the day, it's ideas we have and things we like to do. <laughs> so if you, you have ideas of what you want to hear or what would be really cool to understand. Um, just drop us a line, shoot us a message. We appreciate it. We've had some great combos with guys. Um, my response time might be one hour, might be one month. <laughs> it's the fun part of a side project, but uh, we really appreciate it either way. And I'll eventually get back to you. And we will catch you on the next episode.